Well, awesome. Uh, the title of our sermon today is uh, uh, God's Kindness to Repentance, and uh, we'll outline what that means. So, um, so um, let's, let's read uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50, Luke 7, 36 through 50, and uh, so it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table or at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering said, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. And so he told a parable. He said, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii is like a day's wages, so this was like a year and a half's worth of wages, right? And the other, 50, about two months' worth of wages. Uh, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, like no kiss of greeting, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of your message. And dear Father, we just uh, pray that you open our hearts and uh, reveal those places in us that need reckoning, that need repentance, Lord. Uh, dear Father, we give you this time, and uh, we set it aside as holy for you. Uh, dear Father, help our minds to, to concentrate on your words and to, and to hear your call to us in our lives, Lord. We love you, and we lift you up, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So, uh, this instance of a woman anointing the feet of Jesus is not the only time listed in Scripture. So, uh, it's, it's kind of ironic because our uh, brother, David, uh, we've been in the book of Matthew for, what, three or four years now? No, it's, it's been a while because Matthew is it's humongous, right? And, and to try to break it down, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, just, uh, it, it's awesome. God has, has gifted David in the way that he can explain very complex, hard biblical truths in a way that we can understand and with graphics and all that. So, uh, so, it's, so it's amazing. Um, but, ironically, he's going to be in 
uh, I think it's uh, Matthew 26 next week, and you're going to see another woman anointing the feet of Jesus. Except in that case, uh, it is, you know, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? The family that, is so, uh, that Jesus is so accustomed with, is best friends with, right? And uh, he, he loves them. And so as an act of worship, uh, Mary will anoint the feet of Jesus. But it's two days before Passover, right? And so uh, people look at the expense that, that they're doing on him. Because it's, it's expensive. This ointment is, is crazy expensive. And uh, somebody, I think it was Judas Iscariot at the time, who was dipping into the money purse himself. But he was saying, what, what horrible expense is this? I mean, we could have given that money to the poor, uh, instead of pouring it out on someone's feet, and he said, "Leave her alone." You know, she's the the poor you'll always have, but me, I'm only here for a short time, meaning physically in the flesh, right? And he said, "But what she did will be remembered uh, throughout the generations." And so, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John uh, talk about uh, what happened two days before Passover, uh, before Jesus was crucified. This instance that we're talking about today in Luke seven actually happened. Uh, in a completely different place. It was in uh, Galilee in a small village called Nain, like N-A-I-N. And so uh, very different circumstances. It's, it is ironic, though, that they were both in the house of a Simon. Uh, the Simon who uh, is in the Mary, Martha, and Lazarus story uh, was Simon a leper. And I'm thinking probably a, a healed leper at that point, maybe. Uh, but in... Uh, this circumstance is Simon the Pharisee, okay? So uh, anyway, I'll leave it to David to pick that apart next week, uh, as he is very good at doing so. Uh, but regardless, so this, we're in Nain in Galilee in approximately one year before Jesus' death, okay? So let's start with Luke 7.36. Luke 7.36, and it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the, the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, at first glance, this may seem like a pretty friendly invitation, right? Uh, but if you're uh, looking in the book of Luke, and you can read this uh, later, uh, but one chapter earlier in Luke 6, you can see where the scribes and the Pharisees were watching Jesus very, very closely uh, to see if he would actually heal a man who had a withered hand. I think uh, the, maybe the Chosen even covered uh, the the popular miniseries, The Chosen may have covered something like this, where he was healing him in, in the temple. Um, but it said uh, they, they wanted to say whether he would heal the man on Sabbath so that they could find a reason to accuse him. Well, what did Jesus do? He's Lord of the Sabbath. He, he healed the man. And uh, he made them look uncaring and foolish. And then it says in uh, Luke 6 that they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay, so fast forward now. Here we are. Simon the Pharisee, his name is Simon the Pharisee that invited him, probably invited him over in order to trap him or to find some reason to accuse him. Okay? So let's go on to uh, verse uh, 37 and 38. And it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, Jesus, that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, he brought, or she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
So unlike the other one where we have clues as to who the woman might be at the anointing in Bethany two days before Passover, here uh, it doesn't mention her name by name at all. You know, some have even talked about, uh, well, this might be Mary Magdalene, uh, but I don't think that's true because, again, one more chapter over uh, in Luke chapter 8, it introduces Mary Magdalene or her, her name for the first time in the book of Luke. So, so uh, this woman is just unnamed, and the only thing that we know about her is, is she's a prostitute, right? Um, it, well, it didn't even say it that way. It, it uses a euphemism. It says, a woman of the city, but that's a euphemism for prostitute. And this Pharisee, Simon, he was painfully aware of, of who she was and what she was in his eyes, right? Uh, the Pharisees were all about appearances, right? They had these, uh, you know, things on their head like these box billboard kind of things or whatever. And whoever had the widest one and the tallest one or whatever was more pious than this guy. And, and uh, just uh, the amount of robes or, or how they were regarded in the community was much more important uh, than anything else, how much money they had. I mean, they were kind of the religious fat cats uh, of, of the time. And, um, and, and now here, in his house, uninvited, a prostitute just comes walking in. And I can just imagine the dialogue in his head. You know, it's just like, well, how dare she come into my house? And what, oh my gosh, what is this embarrassing emotional display? Just crying and slobbering over this guy's feet and then wiping his dirty feet with her hair. You never catch me doing that, you know. And then using expensive ointment on his feet. <laughs> what a waste. You know, I mean, just that vitriol, that contempt that he has for the whole situation and, you know, this guy who he's trying to accuse and then just seeing this, this display. And then he t- turned his contempt on Jesus. He was talking uh, to himself and he said, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner, right? So we see what the heart of Simon is, a heart of contempt, a heart of judgment, uh, but then it says in verse 40, let's, let's pick it up from there in uh, Luke uh, verse 40. So he answered what Simon had said to himself. And you see this all throughout scripture where Jesus knows the hearts and the thoughts of people. He created everything, right? Uh, Jesus is the creator. Uh, but now here he is incarnate in flesh. And he's uh, answering Simon directly. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. And then a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, about a year and a half's worth of wages, and the other 50, about two months' worth of wages. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water. That was a huge slight not to offer water to a dignitary coming into your house that you've invited over for dinner for him to have his feet washed or to wash his feet. He said, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, no kiss of greeting to welcome me. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, 
Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that story. So even before I get into it, as we're going through the story, who do you identify with? Are you the Pharisee today? Or are you the woman? It varies from day to day for me because I'm a man uh, filled with judgment toward other people. I am. That's one of my pet sins. I can easily hold contempt. Somebody will cut me off in traffic and, man, I just want to snap. And it's so stupid. You know, they may have very good reason. They're rushing to a hospital. You know, you, you try to give them benefit of the doubt, right? But we can so easily uh, jump to judgment. Uh, but what we're looking at now is uh, hopefully a heart of repentance. But again, when we think about this woman, and again, this is just me uh, kind of imagining, uh, but I can't even start to imagine how, how difficult her life was. Constantly feeling low, ashamed, objectified, the endless routine of abuse, feeling trapped, oppressed, hopeless. But I love what it says in verse 37. In verse 37 it says, But when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, that, that little partial statement is a statement of hope. When she learned that she could have access to Jesus, right? And I can imagine her thinking, are the stories true about this man? The, the miracles, the healings, the compassion? Is this? Could it be Messiah? In your bulletins, I have, have a, just something to fill out. So, Messiah uh, also means anointed one. The one who is anointed and also, too, when we look at the word Christ, did you know that the word Christ is actually just the Greek way of saying Messiah? So like Jesus Messiah, we sing that song here, and we talk about Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, um, whether you're uh, signifying more his humanity or his kingship and Lord and, and godly nature. But again, Messiah means anointed one. Messiah means anointed one uh, for you following along in the notes and stuff. <clears throat> and again, once we, once we start looking at uh, being anointed, uh, the Lord was anointed at least three times that we have listed. So first, it says that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit at baptism. Uh, John the Baptist uh, said that uh, he saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming and in, in landing on Jesus uh, to anoint him at the beginning of his ministry. The second time is here in Nain, uh, in the middle of his ministry, where, uh, again, this unnamed woman is anointing his feet uh, as, her, as her Lord, as, as, her, as her Savior. And then the third is in Bethany, two days before Passover, to prepare his body for burial, uh, to prepare him for what he's been destined to do here in this place. So... Um, I don't know, thinking back, I was just, I've been camping out in the book of Luke a lot just in pre preparation for this. And you see in Luke uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19, 
where it's Jesus had uh, entered, the, entered the temple and they uh, were asking him to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And so he was reading for what we would consider Isaiah 61. And it, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so maybe so. Maybe this is Messiah. She's willing to take the risk. She's, she's risking everything. She's going, she is going into the house of a Pharisee. And like, just, I can't imagine the great courage that that took uh, to open herself up to more scorn, more ridicule. Uh, but this revealed how desperately, just how desperately that she wanted forgiveness of her sins. And uh, with her weeping, uh, with her weeping, it just signifies such a, a deep, deep repentance. Okay? So what is repentance? Well, in its simplest form, I, 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 I put it on your bulletins, where it's the desire to turn away. Do me a favor. Uh, pick up your pencil or pen or whatever and circle, turn away. Okay? The desire to turn away from my sin toward Christ for forgiveness. Circle forgiveness and salvation. But kind of uh, in a vacuum, repentance doesn't look like much. You're like, well, there must have been some type of progression to get to a point where you want forgiveness from sins, right? And so let's, let's look at that a little bit deeper. Uh, what leads us to repentance? And so in Romans 2, I don't have a slide for this, but it says that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance, right? And then to analyze that a little bit more, what is God's kindness, right? In uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul states that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And it's a salvation without regret, right? So if you're following along in the notes, this is the first point, that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And so this grief here actually refers to sorrow for our sins. And it is uh, enveloped by the Trinity, uh, by God's care. Because it's grief that refers to the sorrow of our sin that's according, uh, that, that this sorrow is the Father leading us according to his will. It's produced through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's to reconcile you to God through Jesus Christ the Son. Um, you guys have read, uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Y'all read that? And at first glance, uh, people may think, well, that, uh, that means that when I'm sad or if I am going through uh, earthly sorrow, that, that God's going to come alongside as my comforter. And it is true that God will come alongside as your comforter. But in that, in, in that verse, that's not what that means. To mourn means you're mourning for the condition of your sin. You, because of the Holy Spirit, have a hyper-awareness of sin in your life, and you want for God to deal with it. You want for God to comfort you. And so this godly sorrow is drawing your heart 
toward Jesus so it can be reckoned with. And I guarantee you, true repentance cannot occur apart from the genuine sorrow over my sin. And that's a genuine sorrow that that doesn't make excuses while you're confessing to the Lord. Well, I sinned, but, I mean, let me, let me hedge, my, hedge myself. This is, this is why this happened. It's like, no. You, you release all excuses, and before the Lord, you don't try to minimize your sin or tamp it down a little bit to put yourself in the best light. It's total exposure. It's godly sorrow. You want that thing out of you. You want to be redeemed. You want for the Lord's blessing so that you can walk in right right relationship. And so repentance is at the very heart of salvation. And actually, the fact that you feel bad is one proof. It it, it proves one salvation, right? So when an unbeliever, unbelievers repent of their sin because initially, they repent of their sin initially when they're saved. But then as believers, we repent of our sins continually to keep the joy and blessing of a close relationship to the Lord. I was looking through the other day in Second uh, Corinthians. So Paul, uh, I think he actually wrote three letters to the Corinthians, but we only have two. And so in the first letter of Corinthians, uh, he loves them, but he's letting them have it. <laughs> and he's, he's just, uh, Corinth was a, a, a crazy, um, just a sinful place. Uh, think of Vegas on steroids. I mean, it was horrible, horrible. Uh, you think it's bad when you uh, are on YouTube and you're looking up how to fix something in your house and you see, you know, uh, scantily clad people over here in the related links. In, in Corinth, they were walking past temples of Diana and Dionysus and all these crazy things, and they were seeing horrible things. Uh, and so a church being planted there to, to bring the message of Jesus Christ, uh, needing that encouragement, but needing harsh talk uh, to get to the the root of the matter. So in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul was discussing the first letter to that, he wrote in, that he wrote to the church in Corinth because, man, it made him feel pretty rotten and, and needing to address some things. And uh, this is my paraphrase of that, but he said, I'm sorry that me pointing out your sin grieved you and made you feel sad for a little while, but honestly, I'm not sorry because look, Look at what this grief caused you to do. It was grief into repentance. And so let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 7.11. Okay? And so it said, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point... You have proved yourself innocent in the matter. Okay, so let's, let's break this down. Let's leave this up for just a little bit and talk about the different elements of this because it is kind of confusing, uh, especially when it talks about what punishment because we as believers in Jesus Christ know that the full punishment of our sins was put on Christ on the cross. But this is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about being justified. It's talking about being in right relationship now with Christ. Okay? So let's take that first part, eagerness to clear one's name. Uh, That eagerness to clear one's name is of the stigma that accompanies sin. When people know that you're a Christian, you want to be cleared. You want to have a a good name, not because of your sake, to make 
you uh, puffed up and look good, but you want the name of Christ to be elevated in what people see you do, what you say, how you give, what you, and, and just how you live your life. Uh, indignation. Indignation. That's talking about holy anger of how my sin brought shame on the Lord's name and his people. Fear. We've seen fear of the Lord before, but that fear toward God because he's the one most offended by my sin. And then longing uh, or yearning, right? That longing and yearning is to restore the relationship with God, the one who I'm most offended. Zeal in hating my sin because it was the very thing that hindered my relationship with God. And then again, let's talk about punishment. You know, we will do things in this life that have consequences, right? There, there may be people that have done sins that actually are uh, legal issues, right? And so that being exposed may mean that they serve time or they pay penalties and fines, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just, what if somebody finds out, uh, and I won't pick on anybody, so I'll try not to look in eyes and stuff, but what if you have a porn addiction or something like that? I won't look at anybody specifically, because preachers always get uh, accused of that, like, you were looking right at me when you said that. So... um, but what say, what say you did have an addiction to what you, what you looked at, and that became painfully evident to your family, right? Well, this punishment means that it's like what punishment? You could care less if you get caught or, or, caught or not as long as the sin is exposed and you get it out in the open and it's dealt with and you can move forward. It doesn't mean that you celebrated like, hey, I got caught doing this. It's that... I'm so grateful that I got caught so that I can now deal with my sin, that the Lord is going to deal with my sin and take me out of that mess and into right relationship with him. That's what it matters. You could care less about your name. You, you care about the name of Jesus. That's where the eagerness to clear one's name was, is his, his name, his uh, righteousness is what you're seeking for. You could care less about whether you look good in a situation. Let me be a godly fool for the Lord as long as he gets glory out of my life, right? So not caring if my sin is exposed in front of others, uh, but as long as it's dealt with, as long as it results in healing my relationship with God. And so back to the woman. That's where she was. It, It was okay to walk into a Pharisee's house because she wanted to be dealt with. She wanted her sin dealt with. She didn't want that life anymore. And, the, and, and she could, I could just imagine her saying, if anyone can forgive me, it's him. If anyone can give me a new life, it's this Jesus. So let me risk it and see. And I love, like, after uh, she did this beautiful thing for him in worship and anointing him. I love these words for her because I love them for me. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I love when the Lord tells me that. John, your sins are forgiven. I've forgotten them. You're not going to forget them because it's going to be that sting that helps you maybe not to go into that gate anymore. Don't go, in, don't go back there behind that fence. It's like of, of where it's going to happen. It's like your sins are forgiven. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why did he say your faith has saved you? I mean, again, she hadn't said a word at this point, right? But she didn't have to because Jesus sees the condition of our hearts. You can't hide from him. 
You can't, whatever you consider a secret sin, folks, is not a secret. All are exposed before the eyes of the Lord. And he's not there to play holy whack-a-mole where he's trying to just destroy you. He has given you patience. The reason why we all haven't been little, you know, pieces of charcoal in the room or whatever is because of his kindness and his goodness and his forbearance and him wanting you to be back in right relationship with him. He loves you. He wants his best for you, and his best for you is him, okay? And so your faith is saved. You go in peace. So again, um, he saw the condition of her heart, but not only that, we see her faith in action. We see tears of repentance. We see humility. We see fear of the Lord, and we see adoration. Some of those things that we saw in the, in the restoration of the church in Corinth, right? But he also saw into Simon's heart too, right? Again, I can be a Pharisee on any given day, folks. And this is what he might see in my heart, too. He saw in Simon's heart self-righteousness and unfeeling, being unfeeling, prideful, fear of what other people might think about me or think about him, contempt for other people, right? We all struggle with all of these. But our heart is to, to want closeness with the Lord. That's the longing in our heart. I love how... Uh, Brother Forsyth last week just said, we have a a God-sized hole in our heart that nothing else can fill in this world except for God. He's he's the one that can satisfy our needs and our deepest wants and and desires. So it's it's funny. I I don't have a slide for this, but it's no wonder that the Lord uh, said. This was listed in Matthew, and uh, he was talking to the religious leaders at the temple at Bethany, but he said, no wonder that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into heaven before you guys. The lowest of the low, the people that people hate, they're getting into heaven before you. Why? Because John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, And when you saw it, he's talking to the religious leaders, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Which brings me to my second point uh, for today is Jesus sees the condition of my heart. Jesus sees the condition of my heart. We're not fooling him. We're not fooling him. He sees our every need. He sees when we hide things. He sees when we're When we've gotten so comfortable in sin, so comfortable with whatever that secret is that we want to hold on to it. God, you're Lord of my life, but secretly you can't have this. You're Lord of my life, but in in my recreation time, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to spend more time and put put ahead ahead of your wants and needs. He'll expose that. And he's a good God for you. If you ask him, like uh, my wife was uh, talking about in uh, Psalms 139, it says, search me, O Lord, examine my heart, right? See if there's any unclean way in me and then expose it and deal with it. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but just the heart behind uh, that, that want uh, to be in right relationship. And so he said again uh, to her, your faith has saved you. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God is consistent in his message uh, through his apostles, uh, through his spirit, through his prophets, 
through his word. Uh, For by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And again, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. So to understand that that grace is is God's free gift to us and it does not depend on us is dependent solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ through the cross. You can't earn it. You can't earn God's acceptance or entrance into the kingdom through works. But somehow this, the Pharisees kind of specialized in, in that thought that, well, maybe if I build my own little kingdom, look at, look at how I'm greeted in the marketplace. Man, I want to introduce myself and make sure that my name, I want to make sure they know my name. I want to make sure they know me. It's just like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Uh, but building those little kingdoms and self-justification and self-righteousness, uh, that will not save us. It won't save us. And it wouldn't. Uh, you know, sometimes we get into that trap too. That even as Christians, after we have been blessed by the grace of God, that sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that, okay, it's still about works. I mean, no no wonder that there's songs written and written and written and written about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Because it is amazing. On any given day, even a Christian saved by grace can still fall into the trap to think that they have to work their way into the kingdom, that you're being judged by how you look or how you appear. Uh, I've teased my wife about this a little bit, and ladies in the ladies' ministry, please forgive me because this is off topic or whatever. And my wife's not in the room. I think she's something with the kids, so that's good. So, um, But I said, she was talking about ideas for a ladies' event, and, and uh, I said, well, wouldn't it be great if y'all just had like a camp out and everybody kind of slobbed out and, and you couldn't wear makeup? That was like a distinction that you couldn't do this and you had to just show up just plain Jane and she said yeah we would all hate that absolutely hate that so <laughs> and I was like well then who are you wearing the makeup for I mean it's it's okay uh but anyway so y'all can throw tomatoes later on that one so uh, but I but men do it too right men are just you know we'll we'll even have guys in the church and I won't name names but they're like showing muscles and just doing this. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know it, no, it's too, but, but guys working out and it's, and it's great. It's good to be healthy. It's good to do these things, but makeup won't save you. Muscles won't save you. Uh, storehouses won't save you. Uh, trying to preserve ourselves won't save us. It's only the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ that gives us access into those holy places. That's it. That's it. And we can depend on that. And so when it's talking about walking in freedom with the Lord, you can, you can wake up and know that, you're, that there's no longer, if you're a Christian, that there's no longer punishment in what you do. But the sting that you feel, the godly sorrow that you feel is by our own hands. And so what do we do? 
do we put the cursing jar out and put a nickel in every time that we curse or whatever, and at the end of the week you can buy a bicycle or, I don't know. I mean, trying to do things on your own is ridiculous. But when you go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I sinned and I sinned only against you. Would you bring me back into right relationship with you? I crave you. I need you. And what I've been doing has just been stupid. So would you please draw me back into right relationship and close relationship with you? You're all that matters. And dear Lord, I felt horrible for weeks and I didn't need to. I want you. Give me a godly sorrow. Give me your kindness to give me a godly sorrow. Don't ever make it to where my heart is seared over and calloused to where sin doesn't bother me anymore. Thank you, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit is inside me and that sin bothers me so that I crave your righteousness. I crave a right relationship with you. So again, God's not making a list of how many times you prayed or how much of the Bible you've read or how many times through that you've read it or how many good works that you've done. Again, this is not a salvation of works. It's God's salvation for you to be accepted through faith only. Your best is not good enough. Your works will never be good enough. Your grades will never be good enough. Your house will never be clean enough. You can sing all the worship songs in the world. You can never, never, ever be good enough to obtain your own salvation. So the striving that we have, because we're still, we're little Pharisees. Give us a bulleted list. I want to check off that list or whatever. You want a list? Striving for perfection is ridiculous, but striving to, to go toward the one who is perfect is never in vain. God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your what? Whole heart. Let's see that again. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with what? Your whole heart. Right? A buddy of mine was reading a passage one time and it kind of took me off guard because I wasn't expecting it. And he said, love the Lord with God. Love the Lord your God with some of your heart. Right? Some of your soul, some of your mind, and some of your strength. He, he had said that like we were all, all together in the worship team, and he, he was saying that, and I was like, what? And so thankfully, everybody had the same thing. And then he was like, oh, maybe I read that wrong. What is it supposed to be? So I love his teaching method. It's more awkward than mine. It's kind of <laughs> unusual. Uh, but it's that thing to where it's, it's, it's just, when you think about the opposite, we can too easily read Scripture, but it's like, think about the opposite. It's like, no, what would that even look like? And it's a term that I don't even think that is used properly. We, we use a term called lukewarm Christian, right? I don't think there is such a thing, right? But again, the, the Lord presses, uh, presses us to, to confess our sins and to come back to him. Um, I love that he, again, he dealt with the punishment of my sin on the cross, so that like this woman, all I have to offer him, my, the alabaster flask of ointment, is gratitude and acknowledgement of his great cost for me. Which brings me to my third point. Uh, daily repentance and confession. Confession. Bring me back into right relationship with him. So daily repentance and confession... Bring me back into right relationship with him. So, um, with that, I think I tried to do the world's fastest sermon today, so that's okay. Um, 
But uh, worship band, if you guys would come on up. Uh, the reason why I wanted to stop a little bit early today is I just want to take some time in prayer. Just want to take some time in prayer. And so with the song, if y'all can just uh, play just a little bit. Well, let's just bow our, bow our heads. You don't even have to get up. Just, uh, just bow your heads and just let's take some minutes in prayer. I just want to ask you some things. What is the condition of your heart? Or rather, why don't you ask yourself that? What is the condition of my heart? Am I still holding on to unconfessed sin? And if so, why? Can I trust the Lord with my heart? So God, help me to repent in my heart and to follow you. And this goes for Christians that have been walking with him for a while. Maybe as a Christian, uh, you're going through a season with absolutely no joy in your life. Well, joy comes through obedience to the Lord. He doesn't just talk to say flowery words. He talks to be obeyed. Maybe you're not bearing fruit in this season because... You've chosen not to forgive someone else. Maybe it could be a family member or someone you work with or even one of the members of your church family. Am I judging others and holding them in contempt? all something that resonates with you um, just take time to ask the Lord to help you release that weight of pride and judgment well let me pray over us Uh, dear Heavenly Father I thank you so much for the day Thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for your help in their lives. I pray for your help in their lives. Dear Father, as, as we grow as Hope Church, uh, we don't want to grow into emotionalism. We don't want to grow into just what feels good or looks good. Uh, those things pass away. But what doesn't pass away is our relationship with you and your word. Dear Father, grow us up, mature us into the people of God that you want us to be. Help us to lead with weakness. Continue to give us your kindness, Lord. Continue to convict us of sin. Continue to help us dredge up the darkest parts of our heart to deal with it. We don't want to live in that anymore. That's that's what our old life used to look like. 
So why now, after we've tasted the grace of God, would we want to hold those things in our hearts and in our homes? Dear Lord, we love you, so help us deal with that. Give us a heart of true repentance to where it matters what you think above anybody else's, Lord. Give us honesty in our lives. Give us the realism of you in a daily walk with you. We know it takes time, Lord, but I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that when they open the Bible and they have those quiet times in the morning with just you and them, just, just, just you and them, that they feel your presence, that they hear your wisdom and, and internalize it and take it in. That we see your righteousness and it moves us to action. Dear Lord, just continue the work that you've started. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand as we worship. the poor and powerless all the lost and lonely all the thieves will come confess know that you are holy know that you are holy and all will sing out hallelujah and we will cry out hallelujah all the hearts who are content feel unworthy all who heard with nothing left I know that you are holy and all will sing out hallelujah and we will cry out
So, dear Father, just uh, your salvation is for everyone who comes to you. It doesn't matter what our past is. Those things don't define us anymore, Lord. You are the one who defines us. You are the keeper of our house, of our homes and our houses, you, in our hearts, dear Lord. You're the, the one who, who gives us new life. And so, dear Father, I just pray that you just help us to walk in that freedom, to walk in that clarity, to, to quickly deal with sin and bring those things to you so uh, that we can continue to experience your fullness, your righteousness, Lord. Dear Lord, thank you so much for what you've, you've told us today. And dear Father, just thank you so much of how you're caring for this church in all of our stages of maturity, Lord. Dear Lord, grow us up in you. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.